With this series, we've been talking about the idea that we are all building a life. Each of us is building a life, piece by piece, day by day, that each of us is building a life. And I've used different illustrations for this, but um, it's kind of like Legos in some ways, that there is pieces of our lives. There's all these different components. There's all these different things. And when you kind of look at your life, it doesn't necessarily all look like one holistic thing. You look at your work, you look at your, um, your kids, you look at your marriage, you might look at your, your church life and your spiritual life as one thing. You might look at kind of how you communicate as one thing. You might look at your meaning and your hope and your purpose in life as one thing. You might look at your emotional life as one thing. You might look at your learning and just kind of uh, growth in life is one. There's kind of all these different pieces that we have in our life. And yet over time, piece by piece, we are putting it together into something and we're building something. My kids love Lego, so we have all these different, you know, Star Wars sets and uh, fairy sets, and all, all. And then they usually combine them into all sorts of things. So you've got, you know, Jedi's that are riding ponies and all sorts of great things, right? But you're you're slowly building something piece by piece. The little of what you do today, the little of what you do today, leads to where you are going to be five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now. And this is, we know this is true with all sorts of things, right? The little of what you do today in your diet and health and exercise, that, that might not seem like a big deal if you're eating a breakfast burrito covered and smothered in chili sauce and bacon and whatever else. You, I, I ate one breakfast burrito, not a big deal. And if you do that the next day and the next day and the next day, or I love donuts, as many of you know, and if I eat a donut every day, that, that will eventually lead somewhere, Right? The little of what you do today ends up leading to the life that you are building five years from now, 10 years from now. The little of what you do today in your finances is where it leads eventually, five years from now, 10 years from now. The little of what you do today with God is where you will end up five years from now. 10 years from now, the little of what you do today in your marriage and in your relationships and with your children, the little stuff that we do today, it might look like just little Lego pieces that are kind of spread across, but piece by piece, we are building the life that we will have. That is how life works. But distractions are easy in our life. It's easy to be distracted. We might have kind of a vision of where we want those things to go, our health and our family and our friendships and our faith. We might have a vision of where we want that to be, but it's easy to get distracted in life. As we build, it's easy to just kind of get tired or to coast or to just get off track and then end up not where we wanted. I remember several years ago that we bought a Star Wars Lego set for my son and they were building kind of the, I think it was one of those tall... um, I don't remember the name, but big giant things that shoots, right, with walking legs. And they had forgotten a piece in the Legos. And we're like, ah, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Like, it'll be okay. But then when the product was finished, the thing couldn't quite stand. And it just, it had like a crooked, limp leg. And that might be good for the, you know, the rebellion forces, but it wasn't good for the actual Lego statue. Because it's easy, it's easy to say, ah, you know, I kind of, 
I'm not going to do this piece or this piece I'll do, I'll get to later or this piece isn't as important. But as we build our life, if we get off track from what God has for us, then, and this happens, we have to rebuild. We have to think about, all right, what does it mean to refocus? What does it mean to bring the pieces of my life back to God and say, I need help with my family, with my friendships, with my faith. I need to rebuild what you have for me. And the book of Haggai is speaking to God's people that had been in exile for decades and now are coming back and God is instructing them to build the temple. The temple was destroyed. It was completely laid to waste and God calls them back to rebuild the temple. And they begin and then 18 years or so go by and they haven't done anything. And God is now speaking to them and calling to them to rebuild the temple. And so we have been looking at this and what it means for our life to focus on God, to focus on the priorities that God has for our lives, to bring all the pieces to him and not miss what God has for us. God has a vision for your life, a completed vision. You know, if you want to look at the Lego set, a completed vision of what he has for your life. He has it in mind. And we need to often rebuild. But that takes endurance. It takes endurance to stay on track with what God has for us. It takes confidence to continue in what God has for us. It takes a confidence that knows the little things that I'm doing. This is why Legos are helpful because they give you the end product, right? You can see it. They give you the little booklet and you're like, that's what I'm working towards. And we need that same thing. We need a confidence that allows us to see, here's where it's all going. Here's my hope that it's going to work out. Here's my hope that all of the building and all of the time is worth something, that it's actually leading to a place. We need confidence to be able to continue in what God has for us. Life can often be hard, but if you know what the end holds or you know where it's leading, then we can endure. We can keep going because we have a confidence of, all right, I know it's, it's worth it. If I put in this time, my education is worth it. Some of you get certified in various aspects of your job and it's, it's a lot of work, but you know if I, it's worth it. If I can put in the time, I'll be able to get this certification that leads to a promotion or leads to better opportunity or whatever it is. Maybe you're remodeling a home or you're saving money to buy a home and it's, all right, this is hard, but I have a confidence in where it's going to lead and it's worth it. We need that same thing in our life with God. So what can give us the confidence that we need through the ups and the downs of life? What can allow us to have a confidence that helps us stay steadfast in what God has for us? That's what we're going to explore. And to do that, what we're going to do is begin with this question, why do we need confidence to continue? And what I want to do, and this, if you're just joining us, this will be helpful for you, but I want to give a recap of where we've come from in Haggai. I want to give a recap of where we've come from because, um, you know, sometimes you watch a, a show and the season goes by and then it's like six months later or maybe even a year later, two years later, and then the season two comes out and you're excited and then you're like, what even happened in season one? I have no idea. 
I'm always like looking for recap videos and, and most of the time it's just some stupid guy talking about stuff. I'm like, I don't want to hear from you. I want to see what actually happened. Give me the five-minute version. So why do we need confidence to continue? I want to recap, because this is what Haggai's been about, the difficulty that often we are faced with in remaining steadfast with confidence in what God calls us to. And part of why I want to recap is just so as we conclude this series, you can find yourself. And so as we go through each of these things of why we need confidence, find yourself, which is true of you. Maybe all of them are true of you. Maybe it's just a couple, maybe just one, but find yourself in these things because God is, listen, God is calling you. God is calling you to focus on him, to engage with him, to have him as center of your life, to build a life. That is what God is calling you. But things will get in the way. That's a fact. And so I want you to, as we go through this, find yourself. Because it won't be easy for your life to stay focused on God, to build with God, to have joy while you're doing it, to maintain. That won't be easy. So what gets in the way? All right? Let's look at a few of the things that Haggai has pointed out that they were dealing with. The first thing is this. Other priorities get in the way. If, if, um, if you had asked one of the Jewish people, is it important to rebuild the temple? They would have said, yes, absolutely. It's important to rebuild the temple, but not yet. Just not yet. So we looked at this in the very beginning. The Lord of Armies says this. These people, this was the very beginning of Haggai. The, time, these, the people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And then God says to them, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? My house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. This was kind of the first thing that we looked at. This is one of the first things that will keep you and I from the focus and the vision of life that God has for you. That we will agree we will say, yes, the house of the Lord should be rebuilt. We will say, yes, to what God intends for us, but we will say, not yet. The time has not yet come. And listen, each of you is busy with his own house. They were building, they were active, they were working. I don't, I don't think you're late. Maybe some of you are lazy. I don't think you're lazy people. And God doesn't say that they're lazy. They're active, they're productive, they're working, they're building but not on the things that God has for them, not on the life that God has called them to. This is one of the first things that will keep us from living what God has called us to and why we need confidence to continue is because there's these various obstacles that get in the way. This is one of them, the sin of good intentions. Where do you find yourself in this? Saying to God, yes, reading my Bible is important, but not yet. Yes, working on my marriage is important, but not yet. Yes, helping disciple my kids to know you and love you, that's important, but I still got to figure this out. I've got to work on this. Not yet. I've talked to many people that decades have gone by and their kids are grown, and then they say, ah, wish I could go back and change this. Wish I could have done this differently. Where have you said not yet? God, you know that there's areas in your life that God wants to grow you and change you. There's maybe certain sins or habits that you're knowing that need to change and you, you agree, but not yet are you going to work on it. 
Maybe even for some of those of you that are not Christians or processing faith, you say, yeah, I know I need to kind of investigate God and I'm interested, but, but just not yet. I've got some other things I need to take care of first. This is one of the key things that can keep us from the life that God has for us. Second thing that they faced was simply difficulty. He tells them this, this work. So he's calling them to rebuild the temple, for I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. Now, why is he telling them not to be afraid in building the temple? I won't reshare all the various verses, but what we know is that when they first started building the temple 18 years previously, when they first started building, the people around them didn't want them to. And so they accused them, they slandered them, they wrote to the government, they had the government uh, issue an edict that they couldn't continue. They came and forcibly stopped them. And so they stopped. So we can maybe go, yeah, why, why would they give up on what God has called them to and have kind of a self-righteousness? But the reality is, if someone slanders you, accuses you, writes to the government against you, essentially sues you, and comes and forcibly stops you, will you keep doing what God has called you to do? And then when they pick it back up, when, he is called, when he's called them to do it 18 years later, they, they start again. What happens? The same people, they come. Why are you doing this? Who gave you permission to do this? What are the names of all the people working on this? If someone ever comes to you and says that, don't answer them. And there's reason to be afraid. And one of the things... And one of the reasons that we need confidence to keep going in what God has called us to is because there's often going to be difficulty. Listen, some of us probably need to hear this because um, I was talking to someone about this this week. Maybe you have been told that in the Christian life, when you seek to obey God, when you seek to follow God, when you seek to walk in his will, things will be easy. That's not true. Oftentimes, when you choose to obey God, things might get harder. And sometimes we go, but doesn't God want me to be happy? And wouldn't God want me to just live happy? Well, in a sense, yes. God wants your joy even more than you want your joy. Yes, that is true, but not necessarily in the way that we think. And so if we just define happiness and say, God wants ease for me, God wants comfort for me, God wants happiness for me, and we make decisions based on that, we'll often get off track. Instead of realizing God has called me to a life with him as the focus, God has called me to obedience, God has called me to prioritize him above everything else, God has called me to know him and love him and worship him. God knows what life is like. He's wiser than I am. He's better than I am. And that doesn't always mean that the path I follow will be one of happiness. Jesus perfectly followed his father and did everything that he said. And where did that lead? The cross, betrayal by his friends, false accusations. And Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. So listen, one of the things that can get you off track from what God has for you and one of the reasons that we need confidence to keep going to follow him is because there's going to be difficulty. There might be financial difficulty. There might be things that are scary and fearful. There might be critics. There might be all sorts of things that are hard to do. Do you find yourself there? Remember, I want you to think about, where, where do I need this? Is it the other priorities that kind of get in my way and good intentions, or is it difficulty? Maybe that's what's keeping you. You want ease, happiness, comfort, 
Third thing is this, that sometimes as we follow God, sometimes as we seek to build our life on him, it just seems small. It just seems kind of insignificant. It doesn't seem like we're actually doing much. And so as they begin to rebuild the temple, that this temple that they're building is way smaller than the grandeur and glory of the temple that Solomon had built. It was something that people from all over the world came to see in this temple. It's like, eh, okay. And so as they're building it, it's kind of discouraging. It says, Haggai says to them, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong. So what he says is this. Sometimes even as we obey, even as we step into what God has called us to, even as we say, all right, God, I'm going to be faithful with my time, with my money, with my gifts, with my relationships. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to have you as the focus. Even as we do that, sometimes as we start looking at our life, it just kind of seems like nothing. It doesn't necessarily seem worth it. We might, like them, look at past experiences and go, well, that friendship was better. This friendship seems like nothing. That church was better. This church seems like nothing. Man, this, my faith was better back then in college or in high school or maybe two years ago before COVID. Or you say, Man, my faith was better. This seems like nothing. And sometimes as we seek to rebuild our life, we can be discouraged just feeling like, does it even matter? Is it even worth it? Is it even making a difference? And oftentimes the things that God calls us to look very small praying for someone. That looks very small. You don't usually pray for someone and all of a sudden, boom, some like magic thing happens. Sometimes, but a lot of times you pray for someone and all right, I don't know, did that do anything? But God calls you to it. Sometimes it looks like nothing to sit down and in the morning or whenever it is and read your Bible and ask God to work in your heart. It seems like nothing. It doesn't seem like it makes any difference. Nothing happens, probably. You probably don't open the Bible, and all of a sudden, all your sin, you just kind of see it float away. And you're like, well, there we go. All right, I'm going to do that again. You don't usually read your Bible, and you kind of start levitating because of how holy God is making you, right? If that is happening, it might not be the Bible you're reading, but some other sort of Harry Potter book. Demgadia Leviosa, or whatever, right? Um, I probably got it wrong. Okay. A lot of times, the things that God calls us to seem small. God calls us to encourage a friend. God, I mean, here, you're here on Sunday. This just can seem small. A lot, sharing with a friend that doesn't know Jesus and encouraging them, giving a book to someone, reading a book yourself that helps your faith grow. A lot of times, the things that God calls us to seem small. Many of you serve on Sunday here. That can seem small. A lot of the things that we do seem small, and yet faithful obedience to God often is, but we can get discouraged like them and go, this kind of seems like nothing. It just kind of seems like maybe it's not even worth it. Have you felt that? Is that one of the things for you that is a reason that you need confidence to keep going, confidence to know what God's going to do, confidence to know that it matters because this is one of the factors in your heart? Or maybe, and we looked at this last week, 
final thing is maybe one of the things of why we need confidence to keep going with God is that we just kind of carry around guilt in our life. Uh, Last week, he said this, I struck you, God is speaking, all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, but you didn't turn to me. This is the Lord's declaration. And then later, but from this day on, I will bless you. And he's speaking to them, and they've, they've had years and years of sin. They've had years and years of sin, and God has judged them for their sin. And they turned their backs away from God. They'd experienced the consequences of that. He says now he is going to bless them. He's going to give them grace as they've turned back to him, as they've repented. And in his mercy, he's giving grace immediately. But sometimes, and the reason that he is speaking this is because they know. They're aware, and for some of you, maybe this is the case. You're aware. I've lived in sin. I've turned my back on God. I've had a lot of years where I haven't walked with him faithfully. I've had a lot of years where I have been doing the things that he talks about. I've been building my own life. I've been letting his house lie in ruins while I'm prioritizing my own stuff. We've had that, and we know it. But then that can be discouraging to go, can I keep, is God even for me? Like, have I kind of blown it? Is it too late? Sometimes we look at our sin. Sometimes we look and we're unsure. Maybe God's done with me. Maybe he's not for me. Maybe, maybe I, I just kind of have to pay the piper and live out my life like this since I blew it. This will keep us from continuing because we won't have the confidence that it's actually going to lead somewhere. We think it's kind of too late for us. And I don't know if that's all of you, but some of you probably need to hear that. Some of you probably carry that around, and I know because I've spoken with you. So as you consider these things, what comes to mind? What could keep you from even beginning to build the life that God has for you? What could keep you? Or if you're already trying and you're in the middle and you're trying to focus on God and you're trying to prioritize God, what is it that maybe would cause you to give up. Maybe it's one of these things, other priorities, the difficulty, or maybe it's not even that you give up. It's just that you keep going, but your joy is gone because you really want to prioritize this, but uh, God's called me over here. I really want to work on this, but I, I want to focus on God, but it's so hard and there's these critics and I thought it would be, I thought God would make me happy. Where, where are you here? What are the reasons that you need the confidence from God? That's what we've been looking at the whole series. Today, you've been caught up, okay? So if you're just joining us, it pays to skip church. There you go, all right? Not really, but all right. Final, next question is this. As a lot is stacked up against us, a lot is stacked up, we need something to help give us confidence, right? What can give us confidence? These are the reasons that we need it in the first place, but that's a lot of things that can help drain our confidence and suck it away, suck away our joy. What gives us confidence? What can help us? And here's the final part of Haggai. I'm going to read this final section, and then we'll see how this gives us confidence. Here's what he says. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration and make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, 
This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. What can give us confidence to continue? This is where Haggai ends. He begins with this call of all the stuff we've looked at. You're not prioritizing God. Don't be afraid. There is difficulty. Keep working. God's been judging you. There's a lot of sin, but he's going to bless you. And then he ends with this final conclusion to give them the confidence that they need to keep going, to give them the confidence they need. And it was going to be a few more years of temple building before it was completed. He gives them this final encouragement to keep going in what God has for them. And it's the same confidence that we need to keep going as we are building the lives that God has for us. So here's a few things that we see in here. First is this. God gives you, and many of you feel this. I know I feel it. God calls you beyond what you can do by yourself. God calls you to more than you can do in your marriage. Husbands are called to love their wives like Christ loved the church sacrificing, surrendering themselves for their wives. That's more than you can do. God calls you to disciple, love, train your children. You probably often feel like that's more than you can do. God calls you to be a kind of friend that loves the way that Jesus loves. That's probably more, probably feels like at times more than you can do. God calls you to have joy in suffering. Probably feels like more than you can do. God calls you to be a faithful presence and witness even in a world around you that thinks that you're crazy. That probably feels like more than you can do. God calls you to be generous, to serve, to all sorts of things that feel like more than we can do. That is the call that we have. God calls them to build this temple, which is more than they can do. God calls you to do things that are bigger and beyond what you can do. But here's what he says that gives them confidence. He says, all the things that he will do. Even in the middle of the call, he, he fills this section, I'm going to do, I'm going to shake the heavens. I will overturn. I will overturn royal thrones. I will overturn chariots. I will take you. I have chosen you. It's filled with God saying, I am calling you to things beyond you, but look who's really in control here. Look who's really active. Look who's really got the power. Look what I am going to do. God has filled Haggai. The whole book of Haggai has been filled with what he's calling them to do. Work, work, work. Go up, get the lumber, build it, do this. And yet, as he ends, he is reminding them, here's what I am going to do. I am in control. I have power. And when we know, when we know that we're not by ourselves doing the things that God has called us to do, when we know the outcome, because not of ourselves, but because of him, when we know the outcome, that changes our perspective on things. When we know, all right, God has called me to do something, but he's actually going to do a bunch of stuff. That gives us way more confidence to keep going because we're no longer looking at, well, do I have what it takes and can I do it? Am I smart enough? Do, are, do my prayers count enough? Do I have the right abilities? Do I have the right wisdom? Do I have the right energy? Do I have the right love? What we know is I'm being faithful to what God's called me to do and God is doing things. God is at work. God is active. This allows us to keep going to say that God wins battles, that nothing is too big for him. Listen, so many things are too big for you. Things are way bigger than, I, mean, I look at things all the time and say, this is way too big for me. Things that God has called me to do. 
but nothing is too big for him. He can overturn kingdoms and overturn chariots and he can shake the heavens and the earths. Remember several years ago that my kids wanted to make uh, my wife a dinner for Mother's Day. I was like, that's great. Now, you know, I was thinking, I've got these kids' cookbooks, here you go. But they're like, ah, my wife's really, she's a great chef, so she has all sorts of cookbooks and magazines. So they're like, ah, looking at Bon Appetit and, you know, like food and wine, like, let's make this one. Like, all right, let's go ahead. Now, that's probably too big from what they, for what they could do. But not that I'm some great chef or something, but with me in the kitchen, they could do more than what they could do. Because I can read instructions, not because I'm, you know, like I said, I'm not Gordon Ramsay or something, but I can read instructions. And they are able to do actually more than what even they could do because I'm present with them and I'm going to shake the kitchen. I'm going to overturn, you know, the pots and whatever, hopefully not literally, but I'm going to do it. So you actually are able to do something bigger than what you can do. That's the first thing that allows us to have the confidence to keep going. Whatever God has called you to do, you're not doing it by yourself. He is with you, and he has so much more power than you could ever imagine. That's the first thing. The second thing is that oftentimes we are discouraged by sin in us. We're discouraged by sin in the world. We're discouraged by death. We're discouraged by war. You follow the news and looking at what's happening in Ukraine and, all, and just around our world. There's so much to be discouraged about. There's so much to be disheartened about in the world and in our life. I talk to many of you all the time about family drama and things. that It's just there's a lot to be discouraged by. There's a lot to get us down. Sickness and drama and sin and suffering and problems and all sorts of things in life that we look at that are not how they should be, right? So many things in life that are not how they should be. And here's what God says he will do. He says he will make it right. He says, I will overturn the royal thrones. I will destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. All of this is to say that one day, God is going to set the world right. He's going to destroy these kingdoms, and he's not going to just destroy the kingdoms and leave nothing there. He's destroying the kingdoms of this world and establishing his kingdom. And in God's kingdom, when God rules, everything is as it should be. Everything that is disordered that we feel, sin, suffering, sickness, sadness, everything that's disordered that we don't like, that is wrong, that we intuitively know this isn't how it should be. God says, I am going to set things right. I am going to make things the way that they should be. That he will bring judgment against what needs judgment. And even a lot of this language about destroying the powers of the kingdoms and overturning thrones and overturning chariots and their riders, a lot of this, if you have a, a Bible, it, it probably has um, little reference marks on it because a lot of these quotes and horses and their riders and all these different things are, are things that are kind of allusions to things that God has done in the past. That when God destroyed the Egyptian army that had enslaved God's people for hundreds of years... He overturns the chariots. He overturns the riders. That there's all of these languages that are coming from things that God has already proven himself to do. So, as we get discouraged 
by what's around us. Part of what gives us the confidence to continue, part of what helps us to keep going is to know what our future is, which is that God is going to set things right. It's not the, the, this is not the end story. Whatever you're discouraged by or disheartened by, whatever sin, suffering, family drama, whatever it is, that's not the end of the story. Sometimes we think it's the end, and so it's just like, I don't, I don't even know if I can keep going. But it's not the end of the story. Which means, for them, as they're reading this, as, as God's speaking this to them, your labor now that you are doing, your work for God that you are doing, your involvement in, in what God calls you to, it's not in vain. It might seem small, and it might seem like, how could I ever make a dent in the injustice in the world, or how could I ever make a dent in the sin in the world, and the suffering in my life, or my friend's life? It can seem small. God is saying, one day I'm going to set everything right, but what that means is that in between now and then, the little things that we do are actually a part of the big thing that God is going to do. The little things that we do now, though they may seem small and they may seem insignificant and it may seem like it doesn't matter, it's actually part of the greater work that God is doing. That's why we pray. That's why we pray that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done. We're saying, God, we know that you're going to one day, that you're going to bring your kingdom, you're going to restore everything, you're going to make everything right. And we pray right now, that you would bring pieces of that into this world and let us be a part of that. And that can be like a big scale kind of thing where we're fighting for uh, justice in the world. It can also just be the way that we love people in our life, the way we forgive people, the way we treat people, the way we bring what it feels and looks like when God is king into our relationships. The little things that we do now matter. And God is using all of that to build something so much bigger than we could ever do. We're just putting little tiny pieces of Legos, and God is saying, eventually, I'm going to build this. I don't know if you've ever seen like some of these giant Lego statues, you know, that's just like, wow. If you ever go down, you know, if wherever your kid's room is and you walk in and it's this, you need to call YouTube or what, I don't, I don't, I sound like an old man. Call YouTube. I, I don't know if you can call YouTube, but you need to contact the authorities at YouTube and say, my child's a genius. Look what they did. Right. But God is saying, as you just take the little pieces of your life, you're actually contributing to this bigger thing that I'm building, this bigger thing that I am doing. All that you are doing when you're faithful to me is a part of what I'm doing to set the world right. That helps us have some confidence to keep going. It helps us have some confidence to continue in what he's called us to do. That nothing you are doing when it's connected to what God has called you to, nothing you're doing is wasted. It all matters. Nothing you are doing is wasted, even if it feels small. God says he will restore the world, and what we do now is a part of that. He uses it for way more than what we can do. And then the final piece of encouragement here that helps us have confidence to continue is part of thinking about even just how God feels about us. How do you think that God feels about you? You're, you're called by God to build, to work for them, was to build the temple, to work. And yet, sometimes we're just unsure of the relationship that we have with him. Sometimes we're just 
unsure, which leads to then, is he good to me? Does he love me? Is he actually for me? Sometimes that comes out when we're suffering. God, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. Sometimes it comes out in difficult decisions that he's calling us to in obedience. And we're, God, why would you do this if you loved me, if you were for me? Sometimes we're just unsure how God is towards us, how he feels about us. Now, for them, and maybe this is true in your life, but it's helpful to just look at them. They had a history of sin and rebellion against God. Many, many, many years. All of their kings failing, rebelling, all culminating in them being exiled into the Babylonian kingdom, leaving their homeland, temple being burned to the ground, all of that, right? So history of rebellion and sin. And God spoke to them by another prophet. God spoke to them and said that because of all of this, he was taking away, he was taking away his promise to establish his kingdom through a son of David, a descendant of David, who was kind of the great king that they looked to. He says this in Jeremiah, as I live, this is the Lord's declaration, though you, Coniah, son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, so this was the king before the exile, this is many years ago, though you were a signet ring on my right hand, I would tear you from it. In fact, I will hand you over to those that you dread who intend to take your life to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who gave birth to you into another land where neither of you were born, and there you will both die. That's what God said. It's over. It's over. You're done. You were a signet ring on my hand. I'm throwing you away. You're going into exile. That's what these people knew had happened. That was the discouragement that they lived with. And that wasn't just for this king. What that meant is it's over. The promises of God, the the son of David that would one day come and set things right, it's over. There's really no hope. God has left his covenant with us. God has left his affirmation that he's for us. It's done. Now, he says, it's not too late. Now he says, let me tell you something that's going to happen. And we read it already, but he says, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration and make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. See that, that language, that's why I wanted to show you that. It's the restoration of what was taken away. The signet ring cast away into another land, off of God's hand. And now he says, I'm restoring that with you. And that was either his grandfather or great-grandfather, I can't remember, of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's not king. He should be by his um, hereditary, her, the, the line, he should be. He's not. He's just the governor because the king is in Babylon because they're still just kind of a vassal state of Babylon, of Persia, excuse me, because Persia took over Babylon. But he's not king, but God is saying, I'm restoring the Davidic line. It was promised to David that through him, his descendants, God would establish his kingdom, that he would reign and rule, and all of that stuff that that we kind of talked about would be experienced, but it was cut off, and the ring was thrown away. And now with him, he's saying, I'm bringing that back. Which is, that might, for Zerubbabel, sound great. Like, okay, awesome. 
But it's bigger than that. It is God saying, I'm for you. It's God saying, I am reaffirming my relationship with you, my covenant with you. To, to be the signet ring, if you think about it, it's, the kings would have this either on their hand or around a, uh, you know, a chain that they kept close. And it, it was something that they used as a legally, you know, the, in the wax kind of seal thing you've probably seen in old movies and things like that, where it's saying, this is my authority, this is my presence, this is my official rule and, and reign, often in legal documents and things like that, that you know this is the authority of the king. This is the presence represented of the king. This represents the king's will. And God is saying, all of that is back. I'm reaffirming, I'm for you, I'm with you, it's not over, it's not done. Think about how that would give them confidence. They know we're just kind of, yeah, we're rebuilding the temple, but we're still ruled by Persia. We remember the prophecy that God had thrown away, really the covenant and the, the signet ring and his presence with the kings. We don't have a king right now. And God is reaffirming, keep going, I'm with you. The line is restored. This will happen. And for Zerubbabel, it was great, but really it's foreshadowing what is going to come. What is going to happen? Because he's saying the line is restored. It's not broken. And when we get to the New Testament and it begins telling us about the lineage of Jesus, I won't read you all the names, but it says after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. There's our, there's our dude. Zerubbabel fathered Abiad and Jacob Line, 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 line. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. When it traces the line of Jesus to establish that he is the king, that establishes that he is the son of David, this Messiah that will bring God's kingdom, it traces it through Zerubbabel. Because God came and said, I'm restoring that line. Now, I know that's kind of a lot of history and things like that, but all of that is to say this. Part of what gives us the confidence to continue is that God is saying, I haven't given up on you. I haven't, my covenant is with you. I am for you. For us, we have it way more than they even had. They had it with a, a governor, Zerubbabel. We have the perfect. We have what it all pointed to. We have Jesus, who is the ultimate Zerubbabel, the ultimate king who came and brought God's kingdom. We have that assurance. We have not even just a temple that's built, but Jesus saying he is the temple the perfect temple where God's presence can be known, where we can meet with God, where we can experience God's goodness and his grace. where We can know all that God is for us. And then he says he builds the church as his temple, which means that collectively and together we experience God's presence and we know God together. All of that, we have even more than them, which means we have an assurance of his power. We have an assurance of his love his covenant, we have all of that because we don't just have Zerubbabel, we have Jesus, who it was all pointing to. That's what gives us confidence. I don't know where you need confidence to keep going. Maybe it's because there's other priorities that can get you pulled away. Maybe it's because there's difficulties. Maybe it's because of your own sin and guilt. Maybe, maybe it's because that things just seem small. But he's saying, here's what gives you confidence. I'm the judge that will make all things right, and you're a part of it. I've got power beyond you. 
and I am present with you, affirming my love, my grace, my covenant that Zerubbabel got a picture of, but we have perfectly in Jesus. And here's the final thing quickly. Just how do we live with this? What has this book been instructing us towards this whole time? And there's really just two things of how we live in this, how we keep going. The first is what has been a repeated thing throughout the book, which is work. Whatever it is that God has called you to, work. Engage in it. I don't know what that is exactly for you. There's things that we're all called to do. We're all called to give and serve and live as a part of God's purposes and love our spouses and train our kids to know Jesus. There's all sorts of things we're all called to, but there's also specific things. God is calling you to engage with him with your whole heart and your whole life. That is what he's calling you to. Oftentimes it's little stuff, but our faithfulness matters. That's the first thing that he keeps telling them. For them, it was the temple. For us, it's other stuff. And then the second way that we just live with confidence is to keep listening to God. We need to listen to him. This is, again, throughout the whole book, but just in this passage, look how it shows God's voice. The word of the Lord came. Speak to Zerubbabel. This is the declaration. This is the declaration. And this whole book is filled with God speaking to his people and calling them to listen to his declaration, to his words, to what he says, because it's so easy for us to just be in our own head. And when that happens, we get off track. When that happens, we forget who God is. When that happens, we don't have joy. When that happens, we begin to prioritize other things. When that happens, difficulties seem insurmountable to us and we give up. When that happens, we can be filled with sorrow and look at the world and the problem. When all of that happens... We stay in our own head, we give up, we don't have joy, we don't keep going, and this book is filled with, listen to the word of God, listen to my declaration, you need to hear my voice in your life. There's no way that you will live with the confidence that God wants you to live with to keep going if you're only listening to your voice or the voice of your friends or the voice of other blogs or what, you need the voice of God in your life. That's part of why this is so important. That's part of why an LTG where you have other Christians that are helping speak God's word into your life is important. It's part of why reading the Bible is important. It's we need the voice of God to shape us, to form us, to keep us going. Sometimes the voice of God is, like a, is more like a coach saying, here's the way to go. Here's how you do it. Sometimes the voice of God is, is more like a, a counselor that's bringing comfort and help. And sometimes the voice of God is like a cheerleader that's just kind of pumping you up. And sometimes the voice of God is just the, the voice of a Father that is, that is there for you, bringing his loving, gentle, but confident authority into your life. Sometimes the voice of God is, is the gospel, the good news. Here's what I've done for you. We need the voice of God in our life, or you'll never be able to live with the confidence that he has for you. So we're all building a life every single day. We want to be focused, and we want to keep going, it's easy to get off track. As we've looked at this book and conclude it today, how do we have the confidence to keep going? It's this. We look beyond ourselves to him. Then we know the outcome. Then we know who he is. Then we know that life matters. We know his power. We know his voice. We know his favor. We know his grace. And we take communion, which if you're a Christian, 
uh, and you didn't grab a little communion cup, you can grab them in the back. When we take communion, what we're remembering is all of this. Jesus' grace towards us that on the cross, his body was broken, his blood was shed to pay for our sins, to give us life, to establish his kingdom that we can both enjoy and be a part of bringing to others. So as you take communion and as you pray during that time, maybe use that time to pray a couple things. You can pray and just tell God what some of the difficulty is. We looked at all these different things that can be difficult to have confidence. Whatever one of those maybe stands out to you, tell God what that is for you. And then confess where there's sin. And then pray that God would give you the strength to do the things that he's called you to do. What action is he leading you in to build your life with him at the center? And then just thank him for his grace. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his presence. Thank him that that he has allowed us to experience his goodness and his kingdom and that through Jesus, the ultimate Zerubbabel, we get to experience and be confident that one day all that was promised will be fully, fully established. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give you some time to pray and then I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer for, for anything. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that Uh, You give us your word and that you speak to us. And I thank you for this book that we've looked at that just helps us to reflect on and think about what it means to build our lives centered on you. I thank you, Jesus, that you see all the difficulty, you see all the challenges, you see all the things that we face, and you speak into it with mercy, with grace, and with leadership. Help us to bring our hearts to you even in this time. And Lord, help us as a church to build in the way you've called us to, to have our hearts and minds and lives set on you, piece by piece, leading to the whole that you've called us to. In your name, Jesus. Amen.